Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel. And he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For Sean 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face. I mean, just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face. Probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem. And she would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mon. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight is we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible and lays on the pulpit, it's a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. For giving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose. 
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, lesson number six. Uh, today in our prayer series, uh, just uh, for the audio-video department, probably going to be part one today. We'll probably do part one today, part two next week. Uh, lesson six today, asking bread for sinners or how to get soul-winning power. Asking bread for sinners, lesson six. We're going to turn to Luke 11, and in Luke 11, we're going to find 13 verses that we're going to uh, spend much time with this morning and probably next week, unless I am really fast today, but I have a feeling it'll take us a couple of weeks to make it through all the material I want to give you. Uh, I want to make sure everyone has one of the lessons there. Brother Joe, you feeling better? 
a little bit. Again, I've been praying for you. Glad to see you today. I know you're having a hard time. Any other folks need a... All right, look, at, look in your Bibles there with me at Luke chapter 11, and we're gonna, I'm going to read the first 13 verses here, a familiar passage. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend? Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? If he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Let's pray together here this morning. Lord, thank You. Lord, for the opportunity to focus upon prayer. Lord, as I think back across this last week, so many answers to prayer. Lord, that we've seen already in the last seven days. Lord, as we think about prayer, as we think about the need for bread for sinners, Lord, to get the gospel to the world, to reach our family, Lord, for spouses to reach spouses, for parents to reach children, for friends to reach friends, for co-workers to reach co-workers, for us to reach our culture and our world. Lord, I pray we would see the importance of this teaching of prayer that we find here. Lord, I pray you to help me this morning. Lord, I pray you give me the strength needed. Lord, I pray you'd empower me and embolden me to speak your truth. Lord, I pray you'd work in the hearts of every person here this morning. God, I pray you'd open my heart. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to receive your truth. Lord, I pray that would be the case. God, help us this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. The Bible says here that the disciples heard him pray. We could go back in time a little bit in the book of Luke and go to Luke chapter 9. 
And it says, And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. I want us to begin by thinking about the fact that the disciples heard Jesus pray. They, they were with him. In Luke chapter 11, it says, And as it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, I remember going out to eat with a dear friend who was my neighbor for many years. And the first time we went out to a restaurant together to eat, when the food came, I bowed my head and began to pray. And he looked across the table, and when I lifted my eyes from saying amen, he said, man, I was worried for a minute. He said, I wasn't sure what was wrong. He said, then I remembered, oh, yeah, he's a Christian. Uh, he didn't realize I was praying. Can I tell you, the disciples knew Jesus was praying. They, I believe, probably were listening. If I had the chance to hear Jesus pray, I'd have been listening. They knew Jesus had stopped praying. They waited till he was done praying. And when he was done praying, they said to Jesus, Hey, teach us to pray. I believe they understood the close relationship that he had with the Father. They, they were close enough to see that relationship play out and hear his prayer, see his faith. And they asked him to pray. I don't believe there was anything formal or ordinary about the prayer of Jesus. Jesus was speaking to the Father. He was communicating, asking, as we've talked about. I believe he prayed much. I believe there was tears involved. There was groaning involved. The Bible speaks about his great agony in prayer in the garden. I don't know that that's the only time. I think many times there probably the disciples witnessed that great agony in prayer. But Jesus prayed. I don't know everything that Jesus prayed for. And by the way, neither do you. Neither does that theologian that thinks he does. Uh, we don't know everything Jesus prayed for. We have recorded some of his prayers. The only, I do know this, the only prayer request that Jesus ever gave uh, is that we would pray for laborers for the harvest. The only time Jesus ever gave a prayer request was asking us to pray that, for laborers in the harvest. But we know that the Bible says that Jesus said of himself, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his purpose. That was the reason he was on this earth. That's the reason God became flesh. So I, I don't think it a stretch. I don't think it unusual for us to assume that when Jesus prayed, he prayed for the lost. I don't think it unusual uh, to assume that when he prayed, he prayed for power to reach the lost. And as he got done praying, the disciples, when they heard that, amen. And when Jesus' head was lifted, they caught his eye and said, Lord, teach us to pray. As John, John taught his disciples to pray, God, God, teach us to pray. It reminds us that prayer is important. It reminds us that prayer is taught. Prayer is learned. Uh, we need to learn from the right place. Some of you learn to pray from false religion. 
Some of you learn by vain repetition of saying several words over and over and over again that that was prayer. Uh, Some of us learn to pray to the wrong person or the wrong God. But we have in the Bible a pattern of how we ought to pray. And Jesus was asked by the disciples to teach him to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Now what we normally do is we start in verse 1. And we go down to verse 4. And we assume that is the lesson Jesus gave on prayer. We we stop with verse 4 and say, okay, this is, and many call it the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Rather, uh, it's the model prayer He gave them, not a prayer our Lord ever had to pray. Uh, Never did our Lord have to pray to forgive His sins. Uh, But I won't argue over semantics this morning. The important thing is the lesson wasn't over in verse 4. He wasn't done yet. He wasn't finished yet. Verses 2 all the way through 13, I believe, uh, was the response to Jesus uh, being asked to teach him how to pray. If you look in your Bibles, in your King James Bible, you'll find that there's not a new paragraph in in that chapter until verse 14. That passage is one paragraph, verses 1 through 13. Jesus is teaching them there how to pray. And I'm going to take, like I said, probably a couple of weeks to walk through these verses uh, to understand this matter of asking bread for sinners uh, or how to get soul winning power. Uh, We're going to approach this passage uh, with a commitment, I hope, that we want to know how to have the power of God to reach our our family and our friends and our co-workers in the lost world. Jesus taught his disciples He taught them about coming with a hungry heart. The disciples had a hunger to pray like Jesus prayed. Lord, teach me to pray. Before we begin this morning, I want to ask you, if you will, if you bow your head with me just for a moment. And as we do, would you ask the Lord this morning to help you? As I pray, would you ask him to to teach you through his word? And by His Spirit, what He has for us. Lord, would you help me this morning? God, help me to understand your truth. Lord, we're in a lost world. Desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, people are dying and going to hell all around us. God, we need. Lord, would you sober our minds and sober our hearts. And God, Holy Spirit, teach us to pray today. Use thy word. Direct our hearts. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As we look to Christ in Scripture, as we trust the Holy Spirit's leading, as we look in the Word of God, I hope we'll be prepared to pray as Jesus prayed. Uh, And we see that prayer. Uh, I gave you already the the notes. uh, Failed to mention, I'll spend the screen there for you. Uh, Number one, Lord, teach us to pray. We have to have that desire. We have to want to learn. We have to have the desire to know. Most times we don't want to learn things. We we like the way we're doing things. We're pretty content. We're pretty settled. Uh, How many of you learned to type with a typewriter? Keep your hands up. How how many of you that learned to type with a typewriter learned to uh, hit the space bar twice after a period? 
There's my people right there. Did you know you're not supposed to do that today, Brother Ahmad? Brother Colton has to, has to hit me with a whip a few times a week to try to correct me. Uh, I, it's, it's just so ingrained. I'm like, oh, just, I hit a period. Space bar. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, but when I was taught how to type back in the Stone Ages, when we had to chisel, when we had to chisel each letter, we had to skip over two. But there are certain things that we are so set in that we don't want to learn. And can I tell you, Christian, a lot of times when it comes to prayer, we don't really want the Lord to teach us. We want the Lord to rubber stamp his blessing over what we want. We want our understanding to be blessed, not what God says. When God's word contradicts with what we think or what we feel or what we've been taught, we need to realize we need to agree with God and the book of Psalms when it says, let God be true in every man a liar. So I said, number one, we need to ask the Lord to teach us. We prayed just a moment ago. Number two in your notes, and we see the first part of this passage, grade school praying, the Lord's Prayer. By the way, uh, use the words that most use, the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's model prayer there. But I believe those first uh, few verses, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4, are very much the grade school course on praying. How many of you remember going to grade school, grade 1 through 6? They didn't have grade school back then, Corrine. You're, you're misremembering. <laughs> Brother Jim only went to grade school. But, you know, in grade school, you, you know, you learn uh, exciting things like shapes and colors and uh, numbers and uh, maybe maybe you learned how to read. I was about 23 when I learned, but uh, you learned how to read, uh, see, jack, run, uh, all those hard words, uh, cat and ball, and some of you are still working on those, I can tell by looking around this morning. And you learned in math, you learned one plus one is? Okay, we're going to have to start a little lower this morning. This is a Bible. Uh, you, you learn that beginning. You learn the little parts. Now, most of you in grade school, uh, you didn't learn calculus. Most of you. Uh, mo most of you probably uh, didn't get into a whole lot of long division uh, early on in grammar school. There wasn't a advanced courses for you because it was... A building block it was foundational and I believe we see those first few verses are foundational when it comes to praying uh, not that it's not needed it's very much needed uh, we uh, been working on our uh, building at getting our bathrooms ready this week and classrooms upstairs and uh, we're excited about all of that but if we went downstairs and I said to David today, David, help me take and let's bust all the foundation out in front of the building. We don't need that anymore. I mean, it looks good up here. Let's, let's just bust the foundation out. That'd be a bad plan because everything's setting on that foundation. And Christian, this, this beginning here, this grade school praying, if you let me use that phraseology, this model prayer it says, and when he said to them, when ye pray, notice there, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
that prayer, the beginning here, was very simple and universal in its usefulness. Every Christian, every Christian from the youngest child to the oldest adult, every Christian who has uh, been saved for a day or 50 years can pray and follow that pattern of prayer. We can all approach God, our Father which art in heaven. If you're a born-again child of God this morning, can I tell you that God is your Father? And by the way, He's a perfect Father. Some of you may come from a, a past with a, a dysfunctional home and a difficult family situation, and I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry that's the case for you. And my heart breaks for many situations like that around the world. And it's true that many people, we view God in the light of our own fathers. And for some of us, when we hear that word, he's our father, that may not mean anything to you because if you judge him on your earthly father, it's a bad reflection. But can I tell you that he is our perfect, ever-present, ever-present, ever-loving heavenly father. We can approach him that way. We can approach him with reverence. Hallowed be thy name. When I pray, I am to understand the reverence and the honor of the Lord God. In the Old Testament, the scribes that would copy the Word of God, they would, as they were copying the scroll of the Word of God, when they came to the Word for God, Jehovah, God, before they would write the Word, just the Word on paper, they go and wash, they change clothing, they grab a new quill, they dip the quill in the ink, and they would write the word, just a small little symbol in Hebrew. And when they were done, they would go and wash again and grab another quill and begin to write until they came to that word again. Because why? They understood the reverence of God. All of us can come to God with that reverence. All of us, by the way, can pray and should pray. Lord, I'm waiting for you to come. Lord, hurry up and get here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm not sure how many of you may not have heard yet, but last Sunday night, Miss Joan Tarka uh, took up residence in heaven. And uh, she left the pain of this world and the difficulties and hurt of this world to enter into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And heaven's a wonderful place. Brother Jim, I don't think there's any snow in heaven. How many of you would agree that's doctrinal? Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's go to heaven right now. No sin. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, no pain. No crying, no difficulties, no, it's perfect, perfect. When we pray, Lord, I want it to be down here like it is up there. All of us can pray that. All of us can pray. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 reminds us that Christ coming again is the hope. It's our hope. What, what, what are you waiting on? I'm waiting on Jesus Christ. I'm waiting on Him. 
I pulled over before with people that broke down on the side of the road, and I said, hey, do you need some help? And I've heard, no, no, I'm good. I've got a friend coming. No, no, my, uh, my wife, my husband, my son, I, I, I'm good. I got somebody on the way. I've got somebody on the way. I'm waiting on him coming. I, I can pray that, that, that beginner's prayer, if you will. We see those words, give us this day our daily bread. And we looked at it last week. You and I have a right to ask the Lord to take care of our needs. He's our father. My kids came and said to me or my wife, normally my wife because I wasn't around much at that time, but when they would say, hey, mommy, I'm hungry. My wife didn't say, go ask the neighbor. Go across the street. Go, go check the dumpster. No, we may have done that once in a while, but no, we, that wasn't the pattern. When they said, we're hungry, okay, I'll feed you. Why? It's our responsibility. They're our children. I'm his child. I can go to him. You can go to him for daily bread. We talked about it last week. We can ask him. He wants to meet it. And by the way, that, that, I don't need to pray for six hours for daily bread. My children and I say, hey, daddy, feed me, daddy, feed me, daddy, feed me, daddy, feed me. Dad, no, that, I don't have to. It's not a long prayer. But God wants us to pray. He wants us to ask him. All of us can get there. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. God who fed Elijah with the ravens and made the meal and oil at the widow of Zarephath's home last. He provided as well for the 5,000 with the few fishes and the few pieces of bread. And can I tell you, Christian, he can still provide for you. He can still meet your need. He can still meet your need. He, he, can, he can take care of you. He can clothe you. He, he can protect you. He can meet our needs today, and he wants us to ask him. And then we get to that phrase, and forgive us our sins. I'm going to tell you right now, every Christian, we need that aspect of prayer. Because we sin. We're saved, and yet sometimes we're dedicated sinners. Dedicated. I saw a far side cartoon. How many of you know who the far side? I love the far side cartoons. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, in heaven there's a far side calendars in every wall. But I, I liked far side cartoons years ago. One of my favorite far side cartoons of all time is two gorillas. And they're leaned up against a banana tree. On one side of the gorillas is a pile of bananas. On the other side of the gorillas is a pile of banana peels. And the blurb above the one, the one uh, gorilla, he says, you know, Frank, I really like bananas. And the other gorilla is looking over and says, yeah, George, you're a gorilla. I'm a gorilla. We all like bananas. And the other gorilla says, Frank, with me, it goes a little deeper than that. I really love bananas. Can I tell you, sometimes we really, we really get dedicated to sin. But the Bible says when it comes to prayer, we should pray daily. 
daily bread, we should pray, forgive us our sins. By the way, when I got saved, my sins were forgiven. My payment was made for salvation. There is nothing that I have to pay, nothing I could pay. And by the way, there is no sin that I could commit as a believer that would revoke my salvation. If that were the case, then that Bible is a lie and we might as well burn it. Rather, it's not speaking about forgiveness of sins that I can go to heaven. It is speaking about cleansing. It's speaking about that relationship that I have with God. Yesterday, I mopped the auditorium. Last night, I mopped it again. This morning, I mopped it again. Because we've got drywall dust and, and dirt. It's just it's getting dirty. Guaranteed, it's going to have to be mopped again. Brother Dries had a mop back there. People walking in, it's going to get dirty. It's going to have to be mopped again. And I praise God that we can pray and ask the Lord to help us in this matter of cleansing. And uh, we, can, we can trust Him and how wonderful that is. Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I'm glad that we have mercy from God. And then the Bible goes on to say, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, we need that leading. We need that directing. Uh, we need to pray daily for divine guidance. Guidance to keep us out of temptation. How, how many of you are on a diet? Any, anybody dieting? There we go. Got a few of you dieting. Maybe the first of the year. I'm going to go on a diet. I weighed myself this morning, Brother Jim. First time. I don't weigh myself very often. Uh, people ask me. I've had people ask me what I weigh. So, oh, probably around 235 because I just stay there. I lied, Brother Jim. I was 236 this morning, so I'm really overweight. But if you're on a diet, how many of you like donuts? Any donut fans here? There we go. My brother back there loves him some donuts. You know, if you're on a diet, how many of you know donuts are not good for a diet? Now, if there is a donut diet, please talk to me after the service. But they're probably, most likely, I'm not going to say definitively, but most likely there's not a diet where it says, yeah, Eat all the donuts you want. If there was, some of you would be on that diet. But if you know, if you're on a diet and you love donuts and you have a favorite donut store, can I tell you what most of the time you're going to do if you're planning well, if you're planning for success? You're going to say, you know what? When I go to work today, <laughs> I'm going to go in such a way that I don't drive past that donut store. I used to work in, in Illinois for a company called True Green Chemlon. And I did fertilization and weed control on lawns. And, uh, I sprayed fertilizer all day and pushed hoppers of fertilizer and sprayed weed control. And that's why I glow in the dark now after all those years of that. But I used to drive past a place called Krispy Kreme Donuts. How many of you heard of Krispy Kreme? Now, I'm, I'm going to get crucified by some of my brethren in the South if they hear this. But I'm not a big fan of Krispy Kreme Donuts as a whole. But Brother Bonnie... If that sign is flashing that says hot now, when they first come out of the oil and they first ice them, they put the sign on outside and it glows hot now. And if you go then, they give you a free donut. And when they're hot, every bite you hear the angels of heaven singing. The Shekinah glory of God settles around you. And I, I confess, I, I don't know that I've ever driven past a Krispy Kreme donut shop when I saw the hot now. I'm stopping. I, I, I'm going to stop. I don't go there ever 
But if that hot now signs on, I'm going to go there. So if I'm struggling and I don't want to eat donuts, I'm going to avoid driving by. Now, as a Christian, I can pray and say, Lord, deliver me from temptation. God will direct your steps of the day to keep you away from those sins that do so easily beset you. And God will give you the right path to keep you from the opportunity of sin. By the way, David did not pray that prayer before he went on his housetop and looked and saw Bathsheba. David was not fulfilling when he should have been in battle. But had he prayed, Lord, direct my path, help me, keep me from temptation, he would never have gone to that roof. Christian, we can pray that. That grade school praying, this portion of the Lord's Prayer. Psalm 20. Three says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And Christian, we need to go in God's paths, God's ways. And if we stop there, we think that, oh, that's prayer. That, that's the full course. <laughs> I've got my doctrinal degree in prayer. But I believe this passage, those first few verses, are simply the elementary grade school, the, the foundational level of prayer. All of these petitions here, verse 2, 3, and 4, they're for me. That'd be pretty selfish praying if all I prayed for was me. Now, God wants me to pray for me, but that'd be pretty selfish praying. You know what a child lives for? Themselves. Me, me, mine. They don't care about anybody else. They care about themselves. Why? Because they're children. And as they mature, they begin to realize other people's needs. And they care about others. Quick illustration, and I want to give you a couple more points here this morning. This last year, we were in the States, and I was preaching uh, for a dear friend of mine, Travis Bradley. Brother Travis is going to be preaching here in uh, June of this year, or June, July, June, uh, the Sunday after Father's Day. It's in your schedule there, the Friend Day Sunday. Uh, Brother Travis and his wife are coming up. He's going to preach that Sunday. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, sweet couple. And we were there. I preached in the morning. They had a meal in the little basement of their church. And my wife saw this crock pot on the table, and the crock pot was a pioneer woman crock pot. Anybody know what pioneer woman is? I'm sorry for you. And uh, my whole house is would be pioneer woman if my wife had her way. And she saw that crock pot. And of course, we don't have those in Canada. We have some pioneer, few, very few pioneer woman stuff. In the U.S., they got everything. Uh, I think you can get pioneer woman underwear, pioneer woman socks, pioneer woman, I mean, you name it. You get it all, in and out. It's all over. And my wife saw that crock pot, and she made the statement, oh, I really want to get one of those. But they were, she had tried to buy one when we were down there, and it was out of stock pastor's wife heard that about 20 minutes later she walked to my wife with that crock pot fully cleaned and said here you can have this one just take it home with you now what she didn't know was my mother had already ordered carry one and my wife of course she saw oh no I couldn't take your crock pot and then I said it's okay you don't take that one you have one coming but a child would never say, oh, somebody else wants something? I want to give to them. No, that, that's maturity. That, that's maturity in our thinking and our praying and in our actions towards others. 
A lot of Christians never mature. Me, me, feed me, give me. I want, you take care of me. But Christian, prayer goes beyond me. Prayer goes way beyond me. And we see this portion of prayer. Every Christian, we need to learn those steps. We need to learn that prayer. Uh, we need to remember, though, that those are the beginning steps of prayer. That's not the end all. Number three in your notes. Bread for others. Bread for others. And I believe the second part of this passage down through the end of verse 13 is the meatier, weightier teaching on prayer. It's important to notice that there is no amen after verse 4. In the King James Bible, you'll notice it is not a break as well. It continues on. The lesson's not over. He's not finished yet. He goes on. So what is, and we'll look at just a couple of things quickly in this. We've got a few more to give. But what is this, this learning of bread for others? What's this understanding of bread for others? How, how do we... How do we understand it? How do we get from the elementary to the college level? How do we go from me, 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 I take care of me, to I want to help meet the needs of others? Letter A, there in your notes, we need to enter his brokenhearted burden and plea for the salvation of sinners. I want you to notice verses 5 through 8. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. The Bible says, blessed is a man who hath a friend. Uh, th this man here, Jesus spoke about, had at least two. He had a friend that came to see him in the night, and he had a friend that he could go to and ask bread from. Now, every one of us, Christian, every one of you in this room have two friends. The same two friends that we see illustrated here in this passage and teaching on prayer. One friend, one friend is God. He has plenty of bread for sinners. He has plenty of bread for sinners. He never runs out. The other friend is the lost world. Those that need the bread of Christ. Those that need the bread, of, the bread of life. Those that need that living water that Jesus shared with the Samaritan woman. And as believers, you and I, I believe firmly in this matter of prayer that we stand between the lost world and the bread. Brother Jim preached a wonderful message Wednesday night on is the gospel hid. One of the reasons the gospel is hid to the lost world 
is because we're not willing to pray to the Father for bread for sinners. We're not willing to petition God and say, Oh God, give me what I need to share with them. Oh God, I've got to have the power of God to go and speak to my friend, my, my spouse, my loved one, my children, my co-worker. God, I need you. I need your power. God has the bread. The world needs the bread of life. And we, like that friend going at midnight, that is the picture of this matter of prayer. We are the channel. Christian, you're the channel that God has chosen to carry bread to sinners. Jesus told his disciples concerning those 5,000 who waited hungry. And I believe they were, they were really hungry. I mean, we're talking, they were out in the heat of the day here and Jesus preached on them. They were hungry people. What did Jesus say? Give ye them to eat. He said, guys, go feed them. By the way, Jesus gave them the bread. He provided, he did work the miracle, gave, but you have to take it to them. He gave the pattern there. We the disciples were taught how to pray about this man who desperately needed bread for others, not for himself. It wasn't, oh God, give me, I'm hungry. God, give me, I'm hungry. It was, God, give me, I've got to help somebody else. God, give it to me so I can help meet the needs of others. That's the next level of praying. In praying for others. Can I tell you that you and I as believers ought to realize that we are the link. The Bible says there's one, one God and one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one of you can, can add one wit to anyone's salvation. You can't save anybody. But I'll tell you what we can do. I can carry bread. I can tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. I can beg God for his power that while I speak and give my testimony, while I speak the word of God, that God's Holy Spirit would empower me. The Bible speaks about Peter when Peter preached on Pentecost that the men, their hearts burned within them. It wasn't Peter's oratory ability. Peter was a dumb fisherman according to the culture of the day. He was not an educated man. He was not a public speaker. He was a rough man who was ready to pull a sword out and chop a guy's ear off. A rough man who said, man, forget this. I'm going back fishing. But a man who the power of the Holy Spirit rested upon on Pentecost. And because of their hearts burning within them, because of the Spirit of God, thousands were saved. The bread of heaven was delivered to those who were in need. And we see that picture here. Genesis chapter 19, verse 14. The Bible says about Lot. It says, he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Why was that? It was because he was telling his sons-in-law that they needed to follow the Lord. They needed to obey the Lord. And yet, they looked at him and said, What? Aren't you on the town council in Sodom? The most wicked city? What's going on here? It doesn't make any sense, Dad. 
Are you making a joke? Christian, one of the reasons we struggle to get bread to sinners is because our testimony is a joke to the lost world. Because there's no, it's a facade, it's a joke. There's no reality to it. It would be like that plastic watch that I bought in New York City on my senior trip that said Rolex. It would be like me saying, hey, this is a real Rolex. And you would go, no, it's not. That's a fake. When we're fake, we're never going to get bread to sinners. The sinners are going to say, hey, why would I need what you have? Why would I care? They're no different. Christian, we need to be different. By the way, Jesus was, was, almost, was crucified because he spent time with sinners. He was, he was hated because he ate with sinners. The idea here is not that we separate from interacting with sinners, but our life ought to be different. Our life ought to be different. There ought to be a distinction here because we are to carry bread to sinners. But can I tell you, there are those who go to the opposite extreme. There are those who are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly use. To think that they're so special and so lifted up beyond all of humanity that they could not possibly sully themselves with the lost world. By the way, it doesn't matter. Either one of those two things will cause people to starve. Will cause the lost to starve. You and I have to be willing to get bread to sinners. We have to get to that brokenhearted plea of realizing the need of the world and realizing that God wants us to be a part of that. That God wants us to pray. The Bible says the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. By the way, I hope that we're willing to do that. I hope we're willing to love people that need the gospel. And I hope we're willing to love them enough to go to God. And say, God, I've got to have your power. God, I've got to be able to share Christ with him. We're that link between a loving God and a lost world. You and I have the opportunity and privilege to introduce folks to Jesus Christ, to the love of God, to the truth of the gospel. Paul said, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. May we be intercessors like Paul was an intercessor. May we go to God as Jesus taught his disciples to go to God asking. Let me give you one last note here, and we'll teach on this next week, but letter B. How do I go forward? Let her be, enter the burden and soul agony of Christ for sinners. Seek and find the bread of life for sinners and carry it to them with power and blessing. Enter the burden of soul agony of Christ for sinners. Seek and find the bread of life for sinners and carry it to them with power and blessing. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to pray for others, to meet the needs of others. Lord, as we step forward in this 
teaching on prayer, may we remember, Lord, you've got a purpose for all of us. Lord, I pray today that you'd help us to begin to think about others. Help us to grow beyond ourselves in prayer.